0: Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Thursday, May 4th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. The Prime Minister says he has instructed CSIS to share more information about threats to MPs. Going forward, we're making it very, very clear to CSIS and all our intelligence officials that when there are concerns that talk specifically about any MP, particularly about their family, Those need to be elevated. While the opposition continues to question how long Justin Trudeau knew about the intimidation against Michael Chong and his family.
1: It is impossible to believe that he was not made aware of these threats two years ago when they were documented by his own intelligence services. How does the Prime Minister expect us to believe such a ridiculous claim?
0: The Prime Minister's brother testifies at a parliamentary committee looking into donations to the Trudeau Foundation. There was no foreign interference, no possibility of interference. No intention or means of interference at or through the Trudeau Foundation. And Liberals arrive in Ottawa for their national convention. Joining us is Catherine Levesque, Parliamentary Reporter for the National Post. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning. So let's start with, uh, you know, what Parliament has been dominated uh, by in the last few days, and that's the whole situation with Michael Chong, Uh, The Conservative MP who discovered through a Globe and Mail story that he had been targeted and his family in Hong Kong um, because of his position on China, specifically about human rights and, and the Uyghur situation, And the government's been pummeled in the last couple of days. Like, when did you know this, considering this was happening two years ago? Uh, What did you do about it? And we never got any satisfactory answers. But yesterday, uh, the prime minister gave some answers. So what did he say? Well, basically, he confirmed
1: that he was not aware of of those threats. Uh, He was not made aware by CSIS because basically CSIS decided that it wasn't significant enough, basically, to raise it with him um and uh, same thing for the public safety minister marco mendicino i mean he was repeatedly asked uh, you know if if he knew anything when he knew about it and he ended up telling reporters yesterday that in fact he was you know he found out about it at the same time as everyone like (laughs) as as he was reading the globe and mail basically so um lots of questions about it basically so that the spin has changed from you know, did he, did anyone know at the PMO or at the, you know, public s- uh, safety offices to, well, they didn't know because they're not competent enough. Basically, they, they're not, you know, they, they weren't told because they weren't asking questions or, or whatnot. So the spin has sl- slightly changed uh, from the part of the official opposition. Um, but what we saw yesterday was basically also a shift in message, right? Um, the, the prime minister coming out saying he has ordered ceases to make him aware, uh, moving forward, of any threats against MPs or their families, uh, you know, regardless of, of the concern, whether it's an actual threat, maybe, or, you know, or whatnot, he needs to know, and, and so that the MPs can be aware of this. So this is, you know, a shift for sure. Um, now that the question remains, I mean, was anyone around Mr. Trudeau made aware of this? You know, did his uh, public safety advisor, uh, what was he was he made aware? That was David Morrison at the time. He's now deputy at, at the Foreign Affairs uh, Department. Um, you know, was anyone in his office made aware of this? Uh, because certainly we were told in previous weeks that, the Prime Minister reads all the briefings he receives. And so for sure, if he had received something on his office, he would have known about it. But certainly in this case, um, he didn't know, he says things are going to be changing moving forward. And uh, yeah, but you know, I, I think the attacks are still going to be coming this week.
0: Right. I mean, it was interesting. I was on the Hill yesterday and I was in a Bloc Québécois scrum and basically the leader was saying, uh, not using these particular words, but, you know, he basically threw CSIS under the bus, right? Uh, yes. You know, like the, the CSIS didn't tell me this. And it begs the question, um, which Jugmeet Singh was talking about in a later scrum. Uh, David Vigno, the head of the director of CSIS like wouldn't you like to ask him okay so what happened like what did you people do with this information if you're not going to pass on information about an MP being intimidated and uh, anyone being intimidated would want to would want to know or their relatives if you're not going to pass that on you know what do you what do you think is important it would be certainly nice to know what CSIS says about this And uh, but how how are we going to do that? Right. How will we know? Well, absolutely. Raises a series of questions. Right. I
1: mean, what else is ceases keeping from the prime minister from the government? You know, what kind of threats are we talking about? You know, we we never found out what uh, Michael Chong, you know, what what kind of threats exactly his family Mm -hmm. were, um, uh, you know, were the victims of, yeah, exactly. And and who else might be targeted, right? You know, I, I could certainly feel a, a lot of concern and, and worry, uh, so maybe less so from Mr. Blanchett, but from Jagmeet Singh. I mean, you know, is he targeted by India, for example, if, you know, Mm -hmm. are members of his family, or are they targeted by them? I I mean, the same question could be asked about Krista Freeland, you certainly she's already been the target of, uh, of Russian threats in the past. I mean, is that still ongoing? So look, I think that this really, this demand by the prime minister. I mean, I, I think CSIS might be scrambling at the moment to get all the information it can to brief the prime minister about potential threats, because for sure, Michael Chong, you know, is is one of them. But I'm sure he's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, a lot of MPs have taken a, a firm stance on on the Uyghur uh, situation in China. And so, um, you know, one can only imagine that there might be some potential threats against many of them. But yeah, certainly, I think in you know, you, you mentioned Blanchet, you mentioned Jagmeet Singh. Uh, I, I think all the opposition leaders are, uh, you know, united on that front. I mean, they they want to know, and they they demand more answers because what they have right now is is simply not. Uh, Not sufficient,
0: not satisfactory. And of course, that brought up the whole point again yesterday by many of them, we're never going to get to the bottom of this unless we have a public inquiry. So that whole refrain is not going to go away. The other thing that they brought up um, was, you know, okay, if you didn't do anything with this information, whoever had it. Uh, What about the fact that a diplomat is in this country uh, that got his credentials through the Canadian government, because you have to be kind of approved, uh, was facilitating all this? And why is that diplomat still here? Now, that question was asked numerous times yesterday. I didn't hear an answer. Have you heard an answer? not really except to say that you know Canada
1: will respect the Vienna Co- Convention on diplomatic relations basically, which is you know a no-brainer yeah. um but at the same time you know yesterday I, I believe the Minister of Foreign Affairs Melanie Jolie wasn't there um to to answer directly the question because it was Jolie who uh just a you know earlier this year said that, You know, if there are any diplomats who who violate the Vienna Convention or the Canadian law, um, she will never hesitate for a moment to expel them. So, look, I mean, she said those things. Uh, She she also admitted, and and that was in a committee meeting, I believe Mm -hmm. it was in March, that Mm -hmm. she said, well, look, it, it is, to be fair, it is easier to prevent a diplomat from coming in the country than to expel one of them. Uh, but at the same time, the Vienna Convention, you know, states that you don't have to give a reason to expel a diplomat. Certainly there can be consequences, you know, there can be retaliation. Uh, you know, China could retaliate against Canada if, if we go ahead with that. But at the same time, look, we, we have proof that um, this diplomat has, you know, made some threats, uh, CSIS was aware of those threats, and yet this diplomat is reportedly still working in the country. So this certainly raises a lot of questions. And I think the onus will be on Melanesia Lee, I believe, who's still
0: in Kenya. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But yeah, um- I mean, she yeah, she, but the, the last we kind of heard from her, she was dealing with the Sudanese uh, situation. Uh, in Kenya, but, um, you know, I'm sure she'll surface at some point and that'll be a question for her, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so, as if we didn't have enough going on with all that, <laughs> then we have uh, the Prime Minister's brother appearing at the Ethics Committee late in the afternoon, uh, Alexandre Trudeau, also known as Sasha, and he uh, was with, the you know, he's attached to the Trudeau Foundation and it was all about this donation that came from two Chinese uh, Businessman, uh, and so what was his main message to the committee? Well, his main
1: message was very clear: is that the Trudeau Foundation was never the target of foreign interference, um, because he says, "Look, it, it's a, it's even a waste of time to talk about it. It was not the case. If I had seen anything, I would have said something." um so you know that that was his main message basically that you know it's it was it had nothing to do about foreign interference what happened at the Trudeau Foundation was essentially a mismanagement you know a case and he really you know laid the blame on the former CEO of the foundation Pascal Fournier, um for that whole situation which by the way was related to that uh Chinese donation um the, you know his his testimony yesterday look I I think it did bring some interesting facts to light. I mean, I think he he said that the discussions about the donation actually started way before 2016. It started in 2013 at a time when his own brother, yes, had just been named liberal leader. But, you know, um, you know, the liberals had no hope of really forming government at that point. So, you know, he, that's how he pushed back a bit against uh, any allegations that uh the you know that chinese billionaire and, and it was his uncle apparently the the second donor um wanted to influence a potential liberal government um he also said that um Alexandre Trudeau also said that the uh Zhang bin uh one of the donors initially only wanted to donate to, to the university of montreal so there you know the Trudeau foundation was not in question at that point um And it was the university that actually reached out to Alexandre Trudeau to use his father's name for a scholarship. So Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. a little bit how things played out. Uh, On the other hand, I must say Alexandre Trudeau at several times during the two hour committee um, didn't really do himself any favors um, when he started, I, I think, you know, blasting. Uh, the Globe and Mail, for for its yeah. journalism, um, said Zhang Bin, in his opinion, was an honorable man, that, you know, he really s- saw no problem with him. Um, he also blasted and, you know, like I said, he kind of threw the former head of the foundation, Pascal Fournier, um, under the bus, basically. Everybody's being thrown like, under the, the bus from this whole thing, right? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. It's, you know, it's a trend this week. Um, <laughs> but yeah, under well, the bus politics, exactly. Yes, yes, That, that uh, that's the that, directive. But that's interesting
0: about Pascal Fournier because she had appeared at the committee. Uh, she left in a dispute over what she says. She was trying to get to the bottom of all this check yeah. thing. And she told the committee last week, I couldn't, people were blocking me. Uh, I've got documentation and so on. And he just kind of ripped into her uh, in this committee yesterday saying that, uh, you know, like you say, this is a management problem. This is her interpretation. This is kind of not what happened. But, Mm. uh, you know, the thing is, it's good. It's interesting to to see, because I don't think she was ever, she wasn't fired from the foundation. She was there for about four years. I think they were planning to renew her. So it's kind of, is it a, he said, she said, Um, you know? uh, Yeah. So I I, I don't know like whose credibility is, who, who are you supposed to believe?
1: Right. I mean, you know, as, as long as we don't see the documents, right. Because, you know, she, she said she had documents to present, um, you know, Alexandre Trudeau also said yesterday, look, I have, you know, um, detailed accounts, detailed account, sorry, of uh, the meetings that took place uh, before mm-hmm. she actually resigned mm-hmm. and alongside eight other members of the board. So she yeah. certainly wasn't the only one who saw a problem with this. Um, so, but yes, it's a little bit, it, you know, it's like two different interpretations, right? You know, we have uh, Pascal Fournier who's saying, Look, I was just raising questions. Um, you know, I wasn't there when the donation was issued, but I did see some irregularities. And I thought it was a bit strange that, you know, the foundation was directed basically to how to issue the charitable receipts. Um, on the other hand, Alexandre Trudeau says, look, it's always been that way. There's no problem about it. You know, the, the company ultimately that was issued um, on the on the charitable receipts, you know, that was, everything was in order. It was a Canadian company. Um, so really he saw no problem with that. Uh, but look, I, I think what we'll, we'll hear from Edward Johnson, um, he is the uh, f- actual f- interim chair at the moment. He mm-hmm. was also there at the time of the donation. So I think it'll be interesting to hear his testimony. I'm not sure where, where when it is yet, mm-hmm. uh, but he will be also appearing in front of the committee to try to clarify certain things. Uh, but of course, I mean, he was there at the time of the donation. He's also there to
0: this day. and He's very loyal to the foundation. So oh, I'm for, guessing and I I think like... if I recall his name, I think he actually worked for Pierre Trudeau yes, uh, years did. ago. So he's got a long history. So I guess we'll, keep watching this and see where it goes but you know the conservatives certainly on the committee weren't buying any of it um oh you know in terms of why didn't you do your due diligence yes they this company had an account but drug dealers have an account uh (laughs) you know anyway anyway always interesting to watch so uh let's move on uh to wrap up just talking about the liberals as a, a, a political party, they're meeting here in Ottawa, first time face-to-face since before the pandemic. They'll be here for three days to talk policy. What will you be looking for?
1: Well, I I will be actually, you know, looking for different things. I know uh, one of your previous guests this week, Rob Russo, said, you know, well, it's not so much what will be happening in terms of policy during the convention but you know rather you know who who will be talking about the you know liberal leadership and you know who might be trying to gain a uh, support um i i'm actually interested in a few policy resolutions because i think they're they're interesting uh this might cause be, you know? a bit of debate i'll name 3 of them okay First of all, return to balanced budgets okay. in Canada. Now, that's, that's from the Quebec <laughs> wing.
0: <laughs> right. That'll get a four-second debate. But anyway. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, I mean, look, you know, it's it's an attempt to try to go back to balanced budget, as it says, in time for the next election. So oh. at least to have a plan. Oh, so, to have sorry, a plan. Not, they're yes. asking simply for a plan in time to, to go back to balanced budgets. Um, So they which, don't expect it to happen no, right away. Which is Obviously something
0: the, the, the government kind of tossed out in 2015 when they oh, when they absolutely. won. Like, forget balanced budgets. And they dipped into it briefly for one of their budgets. <laughs> but this budget... And especially after the pandemic. But anyway, let's see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. So so that'll be interesting to follow. And, and their argument
1: is that the Conservatives will probably have a, a plan for uh, to return to balanced budgets in the last in the next election. So Liberals should do the same. Um, electoral reform. Apparently, that's mm-hmm. still a thing. A lot of people still want to talk about that. Well, and, again, um, that
0: was a big promise that went nowhere. But OK, that's interesting. Let's see where they go
1: with that. Thing. And they, they're asking basically the government to come yeah. back to that they They're asking the government to establish a nonpartisan national citizens assembly to do Mm -hmm. just that. So we had Mm -hmm. MPs do that a few years back. Mm -hmm. That didn't work out. Um, Mm -hmm. So some liberals are are trying to to do another attempt at that. And basically uh, lowering the federal voting age to 17 years old. That's Mm -hmm. another interesting promise. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that's going to pass. Uh, Basically, the resolution says that. Um, it's it's a little hard to lower the voting age to 16, so they're going to try 17 instead. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see where that goes.
0: And I think there was another one. I don't have them in front of me uh, to increase uh, holidays to four weeks because, and they yes. were quoting surveys that millennials want work-life balance, right? Uh, so, so that of course is is a trend that's uh, that kind of brings me to the fact that we aren't going to see pickets, I don't think, today in front of the convention, which is what the CRA striking uh, employees had said would happen, because overnight, while we were snoozing, you know, everything happens overnight, right? (laughs) They came up with a tentative deal, and it's very similar to the one that was struck with Treasury Board uh, in terms of percentage increase. Again, remote work is something that's not on the collective agreement, but uh, they're going to talk about it. Um, so, anyway, the, all interesting things to watch, and I'll probably run into you at the convention. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll say hello. Okay, great. Okay, have a great day, Catherine. <laughs> you as well. That's Catherine Levesque, parliamentary reporter for the National Post.
1: We put confidence in our intelligence agencies to take the actions that are necessary when threats are posed against members in this chamber.
0: Now, let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin argues Marco Mendicino has to go. He writes, the public safety minister is a bright and articulate former federal prosecutor who has determined to be a rising star. But recent antics underline what is becoming a stunning fall from grace as he stumbles from issue to issue after just 18 months on the job. His poor handling of threats made against an MP and his family is just another hit on the soundtrack of his very bad year. He was forced into a pride swallow Tuesday by diluting his original assault-style firearms ban. He recently declared that Chinese police stations in Canada had been closed by the RCMP when they were not and a two-year-old promise to set up a foreign agent registry in Canada has been spun off for pointless consultations without an end date. Marco Mendicino's once bright future as a credible cabinet influencer has been hobbled by his so many missteps. In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakabuski argues the drug price, dust-up, has put the federal health minister in the hot seat. He writes, at issue is whether Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos sought to interfere in the proceedings of the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board last year when he sent a letter to the board asking it to halt consultations on proposed new enforcement guidelines. Within days of the letter being sent, the board put the new guidelines on hold indefinitely. Under the Patent Act, Ottawa's role is to prevent the abuse of monopoly power by patent holders but it does not have broad authority to regulate drug prices, as the guidelines suggested. That is the crux of the issue, not whether Mr. Duclos crossed the line by asking the PMPRB to slow down. There is a big difference between a minister intervening in a PMPRB investigation, which Mr. Duclos did not do, and expressing his opinion on a policy matter, which he did. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister is in private meetings, and he will speak with the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland is in private meetings. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak to reporters before taking part in question period. Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault and Tourism Minister Randy Boissano will speak with the media about the ongoing situation at Imperial Oil's Curl Oil Sands processing plant and mine. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller will speak at a press conference in Ottawa on the Petapon Treaty Project. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibaud will announce support for food security and food systems across Canada. Mental Health and Addictions Minister Carolyn Bennett will announce research funding for children and youth mental health. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, May 4th. Tune into primetime politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.